All right. Welcome to the mine. Yeah. Yes. A little breathing room, huh? Those of you that were in that little tiny room over there. We packed, I think, 133 last Tuesday night into this little tiny room. So I told you we'd be able to spread out a little bit. So, but it's great to see everyone here tonight. We've got another great group, and we hope to keep you all and add more throughout the spring. We will be meeting on Tuesday nights from now till May the 15th. May the 15th will be the last mine before we shut down for summer. All right? But from now through May 15th, we're going to be meeting here in this room. All right? So you can just plan on it. All right? Uh, we are so glad to have you here. Uh, all right, a couple things about the mine, because I know I have some new folks here that you just jumped in with us to start sort of after the break. Let me just tell you a little bit about it, and you can get on our website. I'm going to have Mike come up here in just a minute and talk about that, and then we're going to dive into the Bible, because if you know anything about me and the mine, we're going to get right into the Word tonight. Um, but just... Really quickly, a lot of people ask, and I just want to dispel some, some myths about the mine. First of all, you know, well, I can't come every week, so I don't want to come at all. No. Every week stands on its own. You do not have to be at that. You come as your schedule allows. If you can only be here twice a month, come twice a month, all right? For those that you do miss, you can listen to them on the web. Uh, thanks to Ron Johnston, who comes every week to tape these. Uh, in fact, I ha- yes, yes. Thank you. Huge. In fact, I have people who work on Tuesday evening and they couldn't make it even though they want to. So they listen to me as they're jogging or walking or whatever on their iPod. So you can download the ones that you miss. And that's huge. So don't feel that way. Come as your schedule allows. The other thing I always get is, well, you know, Jeff, uh, I don't know that much about the Bible. You know, I'm just a new Christian, whatever. I always tell people, it doesn't matter whether you don't know anything about the Bible or whether you've been studying the Bible for 30 years, you can get something out of the study of God's Word in the mind. All right? So please, don't let, don't let wherever you're at discourage you from that. You're going to find something that you can take with you to encourage you in your walk with the Lord every Tuesday. I guarantee you that. All right? Because my goal is to, to teach passionately, positively, and practically. That's, that's the way I do it. And so I think you'll be encouraged each and every week. It's getting warm in here already. All right, so Mike's going to come up and just talk about the web. Because we have, if you go on the Cornerstone Chandler, you know, the Cornerstone website, you can get to the Mine website, which is a whole different website. If you haven't been on it, you need to get on it, off of the Cornerstone. Or you can just go directly to it. And... You know, if you would like to get on there, that's great. And also, the best way that we can communicate with each other, if there are changes and whatever, is over email. Because a lot of times you call people, they're not home, you can't get a hold of them. So if you have an email address, and you have not ever given us your email address or whatever, or your email address has changed since you gave us that email address, would you please sign up tonight? And I'm going to have Mike just talk about that for a second, if you don't mind, and then the web... And that website, if you get on it and navigate through that, that's Mike, too. So just thank the Lord for all of you who help out. Uh, Really appreciate it. All right. You want to study the Word tonight? All right. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, we started the study of Hebrews chapter 11 last week, and we're going to pick it up 
in verse 13 of Hebrews 11 tonight, but let me just give a quick sort of introduction, all right? Uh, The whole book of Hebrews is an encouragement. It's an encouragement because the people that this author was writing to was really struggling. They were being persecuted. They were suffering. They were going through tremendous trials and they were about ready to wave the white flag and throw in the towel and give up. They just, just didn't want to move one step further. And the Holy Spirit of God inspired the author of this book to write this group of people and say, Hey, I want you to encourage them. And so as you begin to read the book of Hebrews, it's like, look, I know what you're going through is hard, it's difficult, whatever, but you hang in there. You, you keep moving forward. You know, God is with you, all encouragement after encouragement after encouragement. Now, when you come to this whole then idea of faith, and we hear that word a lot, you know, in Christian circles and in churches, faith, faith, faith. One of the things I shared last week was this. We have to dispel some, uh, some myths about faith. One is that, well, Christians live by faith, but the rest of the world doesn't. And I shared last week, no, every human being to a degree lives by faith because faith is simply entrusting ourselves to something or someone else. I used the example of going down to Sky Harbor Airport and getting on an airplane. You're entrusting the airline company and the uh, pilot to get you to your destination safely. And as we hear a lot about today, you're also entrusting that your baggage will get there with you. It doesn't always happen that way. But that's a faith thing. All right. You're entrusting yourselves to them. You go out to eat at a restaurant, you're entrusting yourselves to them to prepare your food, to prepare correctly so you won't get sick, you know, on and on and on. We're always entrusting ourselves to other people, to institutions, whatever, all right? All God would say is this, so it's not a matter of Christians live by faith and the rest of the world doesn't, it's a matter of who your faith is in, or better, what is the object of your faith? And all I shared last week is God would encourage us in His Word, if we're going to persevere and endure and keep on moving through this world, that we put our faith in Him and in Him alone. That we entrust our lives to Him. And what we're going to find out and what we found out last week and what we're going to continue to see this week as we move through the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 is that faith is really a a strength. It really is. Because let's face it. As a pastor and as a counselor for 23 years now, one of the things that I have seen is that people begin to wear down physically, emotionally, and spiritually whenever they feel like they have to, they have to carry a load. When, they, when they're trusting in themselves or they're trusting in somebody else, there's such a, a worry there. There's such a concern there that it can begin to wear us down. If I put my life in God's hands and I'm trusting in Him, there's a strength there because I understand that it's all out of my control anyway. So there's a strength in learning to live by faith. And that's one of the things that God is teaching us here. That's why He's encouraging us to faith because He is going to show us tonight that really by living living by faith is really a strength thing. It's going to infuse strength in my life at all times, but especially in those times where, like these folks, I feel like giving up, I feel like throwing in the towel, I don't feel like going on, you know, one more step, all right? Uh, In fact, if you have your Bibles, keep your finger there in Hebrews chapter 11, 
and go back to the Old Testament book of Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10. I think I've got the address right. Sometimes my brain fails me. Proverbs 24 verse 10. Uh, in Proverbs 24 10. If we faint or give up or throw in the towel in the day of trouble, or another word we could use there is adversity, guess what it says? Our strength is what? Weak, small, yeah, whatever you're, it's the same thing. And so here's what the Bible teaches. In our lives, there's going to be times and days of adversity and times and days of prosperity. We know that. That's just part of the balance of life. So when those days of adversity come, guess what we need in our lives? We need strength. We need strength so that we don't faint. So that we don't give up. So that we don't get so overwhelmed with discouragement and despair and maybe even depression. And so the way to infuse our lives with strength, the Bible would say, is by faith. By building our lives on faith. The word faith literally means the foundation. It's it's what we are to just lay our lives on. It's that which is under everything else. Alright? That's what the Greek word means. That which is under everything else. Because that's where it all starts. I'm either going to trust God or I'm not. And God is saying, if you trust me, if you truly entrust your life to me, your future to me, that situation to me, that relationship to me, that circumstance to me, you trust that, that there's going to be a strength there that that you're going to find in your life. You're going to be able to navigate that and get through that that you would not have if you were trusting in yourself or trusting in them or trusting in something else. A strength. So if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. Our lives are going to have days of adversity as well as days of prosperity. And so we need to build into our lives strength. And how do we do that as Christians? Living by faith. So going back then to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, here's one of the things that, that, that faith can, can do to make us strong. Or how how that faith can strengthen us to do what we maybe could never do on our own. Verse 13. He's already talked about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. And notice what he says in verse 13. These all died in faith without receiving the things promised. Wow, there's a strength. The the ability to be able to keep on moving forward... And keep on believing in what God says and trusting in what He says even though it hasn't come yet. Even though it hasn't been fulfilled yet. Even though I haven't received it yet. In fact, the writer of Hebrews makes an amazing statement. He says all those people died without truly receiving or finding fulfillment in what God promised them. That's strength. Because for a lot of us, it's like, God, I'm going to hold on to your promise, but you better answer. You better come through in a week. <laughs> you don't come through in a week, God. I'm, yeah, I'm, turning to some, I'm going to start trusting in something or someone else. And, and so one of the things it says here is to us that faith gives us the ability to wait. And maybe even wait till we see God. For instance, let me give you where he's coming from here. 
One of the things that they were waiting for, this promise that God gave them in the Old Testament, was about this great nation of Israel. God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. That Your descendants are going to be as great as the kernels of sand on the seashore. Well, Abraham never saw that fulfilled before he died. You see. But he still believed it when he died. He still trusted God's Word that God was going to bring about this great nation of Israel even though he never saw it happen in his lifetime. Same thing with the promise of the Messiah. God said in the Old Testament, I'm going to send the Messiah. The one who's going to come and not just like the Old Testament sacrifices cover our sin, but take it away. And so that through Jesus Christ, our Messiah, we can have forgiveness of sin and a relationship with God. But you understand that all the Old Testament saints never saw Jesus Christ. They knew He was coming. They believed He was coming. But they never actually saw Him. They were looking forward to His coming the first time. But they all died before He got here. But that didn't, that didn't shake the fact that they were truly convinced that God was going to send the Messiah someday. We're sort of in the same boat, except we're looking at the first coming of Christ. We're looking back, so we have that advantage. But for those of us who know Jesus Christ here today, we're looking ahead as well. Because the Bible promises, Jesus Himself said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? I'll come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus promised to come back. So here we are. We've been waiting now for 2,000 years since He ascended to heaven. We've been waiting for Jesus to come. And for 2,000 years, Christians down through the ages since Jesus ascended back to heaven have been believing that Jesus is coming back someday, but some of them have died, obviously, before that happened. And some of us may die in this room before that happens. Maybe all of us. We don't know. But that doesn't make the promise any less sure. See, that's what faith does. Faith gives us that surety and that stability and that conviction to know that things are going to happen because God said they were, regardless of whether I see them even fulfilled in my lifetime or not, I still believe it. As I shared last week, I have never seen heaven, but I know there is one. And I know when I die, I'm going there. I haven't seen it, but I'm basing it not on me, but on the promise of God. And that promise can give you strength. That promise can give you hope. That promise can give you a stability in your life that nothing else can. That's what faith can do. That's what faith was doing here for these folks. They were moving forward, continuing to embrace the promises of God, even though they never saw them fulfilled in their lifetime. Go on there with me. Notice, though, the Bible does say this, verse 13, but they saw them in the distance. Again, they knew they were out there. They just hadn't experienced them yet and welcomed them and acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. You see, the other thing that faith does is it really puts things in perspective and allows us to get this strength that, you know what, this isn't all there is. In fact, if this was all there is, I'd be pretty depressed. I mean, I, I love life on the earth and I've had a great life for 45 years. God has blessed me wonderfully. But if I knew that my life on this earth, that that was pretty much it and after you die, I go into the ground and that's it, that's it, it, that, there's nothing else. Yeah, you know, even if I live to be 150, 200, or even like some of these Old Testament things, about 900. Whoa. But anyway, that, that, 
I've always thought, you know, somebody like lived to be 900. I couldn't get out of bed Sunday morning at 45, you know. I mean, after doing all this, you know, uh, you know, lifting and moving in here, I'm like, I'm getting out of bed like that. I'm going, man, you know, haven't used those muscles in a while. So I don't know about 900, but, you know, the great thing is it allows us to have that pilgrim mentality. This isn't all there is. There's so much more beyond even this life. And so I'm not going to, as I said, wrap myself all up and get all torqued about this life. I'm going to start living for the life to come. And that's what faith will do. What a strength that gives us. Notice verse 14. For those who speak in such a way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. In fact, I love this. If they had been thinking of the land they had left, their hometown, if you will, they would have had an opportunity to return. I love that. You see, faith gives us the strength to be able to continue to move forward and to keep our thoughts where they need to be. And here's what faith will always do for us. It will give us the strength to continue to move forward and not to look back and dwell in the past. And we talked a little bit about that last week, about learning to unpack our past or pack our past and dealing with our past and, and, and moving forward and not letting those lions of our past drag us down and discourage us from continuing. Before. That's what faith can give us the strength to do. That's what they were doing here. He says if their thoughts would have been continually on the hometown that they left, did they have an opportunity to turn around and go back? Sure they did. They had opportunity after opportunity, but they didn't. They continued to move forward by faith and not look back. You know who they remind me of? Uh, or An opposite example of that is the Israelites. God came through Moses rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. And if you know the story, you know that as soon as they got out of slavery in Egypt, it wasn't too long till they were whining. I wish we were back in Egypt. Man, we're not getting really fed out here like I thought. And, you know, maybe slavery for 470 years wasn't so bad. And, and they started dwelling on Egypt. They started thinking about that and started starting to want to turn rather than continuing to move forward. And here God was saying, but I've got this promised land out here. I've got this wonderful future life for you in me. Don't keep going back. Don't go back. I, here's the struggle that many have. And as a counselor, I see this all the time. You begin to move forward. You make three steps forward, two steps back. But, but in, sometimes in that stumbling and failing, it's almost like, oh, I failed again. So you know what? I'm just, I'm not gonna keep, I'm, I'm just going to give up and just turn back around and just... It's almost like it's a justification to just keep making those bad choices and bad mistakes and all that. No. Okay, so you fell down. So you went backwards one time. Get back up and instead of having that attitude, keep moving forward. Or like Lot's wife. God rescued Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah before it was destroyed. But what did Lot's wife do? She turned and looked back. Because her heart was back there. It wasn't in moving forward and seeing what God was going to do in the future and thanking Him for rescuing her and her family out of Sodom and Gomorrah before it was destroyed. It was, I want to go back. I think it was better back there. And God says, no, faith will give us the strength to not live our lives in the past and to not be drugged down by the past, but continue to move forward. That's what faith can give us the strength to do. Notice verse 16. But as it is, they aspire to a better land that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We talked a little bit about that. 
I can't wait to see what that city's like. I just can't wait to see what that... I mean, you know, let's face it. We come into this beautiful facility on Sunday, and most of us are like, wow. This is, and it is. It's impressive. But this is man-made. Can you imagine what God makes? I mean, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> I'm not even going to do it justice. But anyway, he's preparing a place for you. Now, notice this. Verse 17. I want to get to this and then I'll stop for a few minutes. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. God will test our faith. And here's the difference. Sometimes this causes confusion when people read their Bible and see, well, there's, there's temptation and then there's testing. What's the difference? Here's the difference. This, I'm going to make this as simple as I can. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us. God tests us to bring out the best in us. That's the difference. That's why you see the Bible say, well, Satan tempts us, but then over in James, it says in James chapter 1 that God doesn't tempt anyone. Because that's right. Because God is not trying to bring out the worst in anybody. So if God tests our faith, it's only to bring out our best. It's only to strengthen us. It's only to make us better. It's never to defeat us, to discourage us, or to bring out the worst. Totally different. In fact, the Greek word here that's used for test is the word peruzo, and it literally means to test for a beneficial purpose. To put through a test to benefit. And that's what God is always doing with testing. It's to benefit us. It's to make us stronger. It may be to build our character. It may be to build our faith. But whatever God is doing, He's going to test us to bring out the best. Whether it's just to acknowledge that it's already there, and it just needs to be manifested. It's like I tell people, listen, crises don't make heroes. Heroes are just manifested in crisis times. Those, those qualities were always there. Nobody knew about them, though, until the crisis. That's what a test of faith will do. Many times you have the power of God and the strength of God flowing through you, but a lot of times you don't realize it enough and people around you don't see it enough until somehow that test of faith comes in your life and all of a sudden, by God's enablement and by His grace, you step up to a whole other level and all of a sudden people are like, whoa. And we talked about that last week. How God commends our faith and that word literally means He puts us on display. He wants the whole world to see, this is what living by faith, this is what trusting in me will do. Wow. That's what God does. That's why I think it's so huge what He's doing here at Cornerstone. Because He's basically saying, okay, you folks here at Cornerstone, you have trusted me by faith so far. You have you've put your trust in me. You have stepped out by faith. You have risked. You've done all this. I'm going to put you on display in Chandler. I'm going to let the community of Chandler see what a group of people who truly buy into this whole trusting in God thing, what I can do with a group of people who totally commit themselves to trusting me as a body of believers. But the moment that as a body of believers we cease trusting in Him, that platform will be taken away. And it won't be as great. That's what's so cool about continuing to grow because what that tells me then as a pastor as someone who knows God's Word, that that means He's seeing in us that, that faith that's continuing to say, God, I don't know what you've got planned out there in the future, but we'll just continue to trust, you know. 20,000? I don't know, but we're just going to continue to trust. Can we figure it out? No. 
But you know what? God doesn't want us to figure it out. Because if we figured it out, even in our individual lives, then where would the trust be? God wants us to trust Him. That's why I said last week, God will never take us from A to Z. He'll take us from A to B, from B to C, one step at a time. God just wants us to continue to trust Him. So He tested Abraham. Now, if you know the story back in Genesis, here's what God came and said to Abraham. Very interesting. The very first time the word love is used in the Bible, it's used in the context of Abraham and Isaac. And here's what it just simply says. Abraham, the father, loved his son Isaac. Nothing wrong with the father loving his son, is there? No. But the Bible also teaches, and God also says, no, there's nothing wrong with the father loving his son, as long as the father doesn't love his son more than what? He loves me, God. That your love for God has got to be greater than any other love. So God was going to test Abraham to see. And God believed that, that what Abraham had in him, that faith, was going to enable Abraham to sacrifice his son and say, as much as I love Isaac, God, I love you more. You see, you'll notice here, if you go back to the story of Abraham and Isaac in the book of Genesis, too, that God, interestingly, doesn't take Abraham's love for Isaac away to make it easier for him to sacrifice his son. He doesn't come into Abraham and say, Abraham, I'm, I'm going to cause you to love your son less, so that will make the sacrifice easier. No, his love for Isaac was as great as it ever was. But what God was saying is, you just have to get to a point where by faith you love me more and you trust me more. So Abraham, offer your son. And, and we all know, too, this was the son through whom this great nation of Israel was supposed to come out of. So Abraham's scratching his head, probably bald head like mine, and going, I don't get this, but God, I trust you. I don't get it. You see, a lot of times we think we've got to figure God out. <laughs> I don't know why we think that. Because I've always, you know, again, when you think about that, God is God. We're not always going to figure God out. And, and at the very essence, what God asks of us sometimes is, can you follow a God you always won't understand? And that's what God was asking of Abraham. You're not going to understand why I'm asking you, but maybe part of it you do, because again, I want you to know that I need to be your first love. I can't be behind your son Isaac. I've got to be your first love. So offer your son. Offer your son. We don't like to admit it, but as human beings, we are very desire-driven. We really are. I mean, we, we like to think we're more spiritual than that. But even the Bible says, you know what? Human beings are pretty much desire-driven. That's why we know if we're honest, if we really want something, we usually get it. We're desire-driven. We might not even have the money for it, but if we want it, we'll get it. You know, we spend the money on what we want to spend the money, what our desire is. That's why the greatest commandment is so cool when God says, okay, I, I created you that way. I understand you're a people of desires. All I ask is that throughout your life, that your desire for me is the greatest desire of your life. That's all. 
that every other desire then is subservient to your desire to walk with me, to have a relationship with me, to be close to me. If that's your number one desire. So that's why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because God wants our desire for Him to trump everything else. That's what He was testing Abraham. Would Abraham's faith show up? What a strength. Notice the strength of Abraham. So Abraham received the promises, verse 17, yet he was ready to offer up his only son. God, in fact, had told him, verse 18, through Isaac, descendants will carry on your name. So, Abraham, verse 19, reasoned that God could even raise him from the dead. And in a sense, he received him back from there. In other words, Abraham just said, okay, I'll do what you want, God. I'll take my son up to Mount Moriah and I will offer him as a sacrifice there. But I just know. You promised me that it was through that son that the nation of Israel would start. So I got to believe if I'm going to kill my son, you're just going to raise him back up from the dead again. That's faith. That's not only faith, that's strength. Because what that basically is saying is God... It doesn't matter what obstacle's in my way. It doesn't matter if I can't figure it out. If you promise it, I'm claiming it. It's true. And there is a strength of life in that kind of faith. Let me just go back because I want to finish out through verse 22. In verses 20, 21, and 22, here's basically what faith does too. It gives us the strength to face death. And we all, you know, I don't want to talk about death. I don't like death, whatever. But here's what faith does. Faith doesn't, faith allows us to face that lion of death. You're going to hear me use that phrase a lot. Because we all have to face our lions in our life. And we all have different lions in our life. Sometimes we pretend the lion's not in the room. Sometimes we think the lion's going to go away on its own and it doesn't. But one of those lions that many people struggle with is death. But here's what faith does. Faith just faces up to death and says, yeah, death is inevitable. That's what the Bible says. But I know there's something past death, so it's not going to bother me. Notice verse 20, by faith also Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the future. Because he knew there was a future past his own death. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph Joseph, and worshipped as he leaned on his staff. Because again, he knew there was more out there past death and what God had for his people that death wasn't going to conquer that. Death wasn't going to stop that. And then I love the last one. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave instructions about his burial. The great Joseph of the book of Genesis says, God has promised us the promised land. We're still in Egypt. This is way be- This is 400 years before Moses came on the scene. Joseph. 400 years. So he didn't even know Moses. But he said that God gave me a promise that one day we're going to be in this land over here. So guess what? Don't bury me. Do you realize for 400 years the coffin of Joseph carrying his bones sat above ground in Egypt as a testimony of the faith of Joseph? And every time the Jews would walk past that coffin, they'd be reminded, wow, Joseph believes we're getting out of here. We've been slaves now for 300 years, but Joseph believed we were getting out of here. And that coffin was a testimony of Joseph's faith. Do you know what? 
I didn't see that promise fulfilled, but it's going to happen one day. So 400 years later, when God calls Moses to go into Egypt and take his people out, guess what God told Moses to do? Oh, Moses, by the way, there was this guy 400 years before you. His name was Joseph. He believed in my promises. He knew one day this was going to happen. So I want you to take his bones to the promised land. And that's what they did. That great exodus that the book of Exodus talks about where Moses and all the children of Israel and some Egyptians leave. Guess who went with them? The bones of Joseph. And they buried him in the promised land when he got That's faith. Faith shows that, man, it's not all about the here and now. It's about what's out there. See, where we can go wrong, and we're all susceptible to this, is Satan and, and worldly forces and even our own flesh can cause us to live for the moment. Isn't that what sin does a lot of times where we get caught up? It's living for the moment. Wow. That, you know, oh, it's what Eve, you know, and Adam. It's like, oh, it's right there. I'm, I'm going to live for the moment. I'm not going to care about the ramifications of this. I'm not going to care about the consequences of this. I'm not going to care how this affects other people. I'm not going to care how it hurts other people. I'm just going for it. I'm living for the moment. But guess what? There's a payday somewhere down the road. There are consequences. There are ramifications. There are things. But what Satan and other things in our life, live for the moment. Don't, don't live for what's after. God wants us to keep our eyes on what's coming, not just... How many of us like to be in control of things? Look at verse 23. Here's what faith can give you the strength to do. First of all, I could read this verse and say, faith gives you the strength to be a parent. <laughs> and you need a lot of strength to be a parent. But more importantly, even under the surface of being a parent here, what this verse is also saying is faith allows us to live our lives and not have to be in control. That was the faith of Moses' parents. Notice, by faith, when Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months because they saw the child was beautiful or favored and that they were not afraid of the king's edict. I mean, normal parents, little baby, we're going to protect and we're going we're to be in control and we're not going to just put this baby in some basket and float it down the river and entrust God to take and live our lives with an open hand. No, we're clutching on to our son. And God says, no, no, no. Faith gives you the strength to be able to live your life and my life with an open hand, not with a clenched fist, clinging and clutching to things, but just saying, hey, all these things are God's gift, and I'm just a steward. And just like I told my kids the other day, and they're 20 and 18, I said, God just lets you, I, I just had you on loan for a couple of years while you were grown, and now, you know, you never were mine. I was just a steward that God had. It's the way it is. And these parents were able to let go because they understand that it was a faith thing. God had this great purpose. And if they had held on to Moses and tried to be in control, so they surrendered. Because that's the strength that faith can provide. I've shared with some of you my personal story, but I just think it's so cool to share it here today from my own life. Many of you have heard that my brother and sister died of a rare blood disease when they were four and five years old. 
They died before I was born. The doctors told my parents back then in the late 50s not to have any more children because they didn't know what killed, what caused the blood defect in my brother and sister. So they advised my parents not to have any more children. And my parents began to pray and they really believed that God wanted them to try one more time. And as I always say, I'm glad they did. I was not... I was known in our community as the prayer baby because so many people were so, you know, upset at what my parents, that the last thing anybody wanted to see my parents do was to bury another child. So I had a lot of prayers going up for me, probably even more than normal. But the point I want to get to is this. On a human level, my parents had every right to be the most overprotective parents ever. My parents had every human right to just shelter me because like, okay, God gave me this other child and now we can't let it in. And my parents, because of their faith, just the opposite. They just let me go. <laughs> That's a whole other story that we won't get into tonight. But when I got... I don't remember exactly. It was probably 14 or 15. I can remember having this conversation with my parents where I, I sat them down. said, I want to talk to you. And with tears beginning to stream down my, my cheeks, I, I said, I am so glad God gave you to me as parents. And I thank you that I know how hard it was to let go and to just let me go and to just let God be my ultimate protector and whatever and that you couldn't control all the circumstances and you couldn't maybe prevent that blood disease and all of that. But by faith, you were trusting in God and you just let me go and didn't shelter me and didn't overprotect me and didn't try to control every piece of my life. I so thank you for that. Because what that did is that allowed me to begin to develop my own trust and faith because I saw it modeled in my parents. I saw them live trusting God every day. And I think that's why Moses' parents are included here. Because even though he might not have grown up actually seeing that modeled in some degree, I think he heard about it. Wow. Look what my parents did. You know, they could have taken me when I was born and hid me in some closet somewhere or something and put me away for a couple of years because they were going to try to control the situation. And instead, they put me in that basket and they floated me down the river and I was right where God wanted me to be. I was then in the hands of Pharaoh's sister. And that enabled me then to get into the very palace of Pharaoh in Egypt. That's where God wanted me. And if they wouldn't have let me go, I wouldn't have been there. Faith. The power of faith. So that's why then after Moses' parents, then we read, verse 24, by faith when he grew up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. A couple of things. First of all, notice that faith gives us the strength to make the right choices. And sometimes it's not necessarily a clear-cut, 
black and white, right, wrong choice. Some, unlike here, sometimes it's between what's best and what's better. Between what's good and gooder. <laughs> Excusing my English. Sometimes that's the way it is. And that's what faith can do. It can give us the strength to make those choices. That's what Moses did. He chose the right thing. The obvious thing was, man, this is good living. I'm one of Pharaoh's adopted sons. I'm in the palace of the most powerful nation on the earth at that time. Egypt. They own the world. I have all the riches and wealth and everything at my disposal. But I'm choosing God's people over that. Because Moses was able by faith to see beyond, again, just the moment. And then I love what the Bible reminds us of here at the end of verse 25. And don't miss it. And here's where we can really get tripped up. Sin, and yes, you heard this in church, sin is enjoyable. (gasps) Yeah, that's what the Bible says. For a while. But see, that's where some, again, it's that deception of sin. I talked with a person just this past week. She made a bad choice. She had an affair. And here was her warped reasoning. But while I was having that affair, it was enjoyable. So what's so wrong about it? See, the Bible never says that sin is not enjoyable. Don't get that, you know. Or how some people get is they have this view of somehow, if I really commit some kind of sin or something, then, you know, some lightning bolt's going to come out of the sky and fry me. And when it doesn't, it's like, oh, well, I got away with that. I think I'll do it again, you know, type of thing. (laughs) Living for the moment. Sin is enjoyable for it. And so, here's what Moses was able to do. The faith, the strength that, that faith was able to give him was a faith that saw beyond that present enjoyment of sin for the long term benefit of living for God. And it wasn't like what he might choose wasn't going to be enjoyable for a while, but it was fleeting. It's just for a moment. It doesn't last. That's why we have hundreds of people every week coming on this campus at Cornerstone because they're searching. Because they've tried to be satisfied with the things of the world. They've tried this and that relationship and that thing. And they've looked at this religion and this teaching and all of this. And they keep trying to fill that void in their life with something that truly is going to satisfy them and bring contentment. They can't find anything. Because even if they get caught around something for a while, it's like, well, that was good for a while, but a couple weeks, a couple months, maybe even a couple years go by and it doesn't do it for them anymore. So they've got to go out and get some other new fix. I know this is a terrible way to say it, but Jesus will cure that. When Jesus Christ comes into our life, you never have to worry about having that gnawing for something else that's going to truly satisfy you. But don't ever forget that sin, can be enjoyable for a while. For a while. That's what the Bible teaches. He regarded, verse 26, abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And, you know, we can just read through that, but the best thing I begin to, to read sometime, if you've got some time, 
about the treasures of Egypt. And then you begin to think about the magnitude of the choice that Moses made. It was almost as great as when Satan took Jesus out into the wilderness and said, you can have all these kingdoms. It was huge. And I'm going to choose to suffer abuse over the treasure? Yeah, that's the strength. I love what Kurt Warner said Sunday. and I wasn't in every service Sunday, but I was in a couple of them. And I think he said it in the ones that I was in where he said that God can give you that, that strength to be that stock boy in a grocery store and to know that God's using that period in my life to strengthen me, to make me a better person, to build my character. I mean, that, that was one of the messages. Is, you know, why did it take so long for Kurt Warner to get where he always thought he was going? And he went back and said, well, you know, my experience in the arena football league and my experience as a stock boy and all these experiences were there for God to use them to make me Stronger, better. It was a test. It wasn't a temptation. It was a test. And God will test us again, not to destroy us or to discourage us, but to bring out the best in us. To keep moving forward. Because remember, these people were about ready to give up. And the writer of Hebrews says, there's one thing that can keep you going. And that's your faith. Don't give up on your faith. I love this. Verse 26 and 27, and I'm just going to move on to a couple other verses to wrap it up tonight. Notice, he regarded abuse, suffered for Christ, to be greater wealth in the treasures of Egypt, for his eyes were fixed on the reward, on what was ahead. You see, we can get our eyes on the here and now and on those sinful pleasures for a moment rather than keeping our eyes on the reward. Moses kept his eyes on the reward. And it's okay to say God rewards. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, God rewards faith. God will reward your faith. God will commend your faith. God applauds your faith. That's a biblical doctrine. The whole Bible is filled with the fact that God is a God of reward. He will reward you. That's why I've always said the best even example of, of, of parenting is God. And how God deals with us as His children should be how I as a parent deal with my children. And so that's why reward was always huge in our family with my children. Because I believe that's what God says. Hey, I'll reward that. I'll applaud that. I'll affirm that. And, you know, Lisa and I, we always had to remind ourselves, you know, as much as there were times of discipline and times where we had to come down on our kids, we also had to make sure that we balanced that out with when they did things well, that we were even more affirming when they did it well than when they did it wrong. Because that's the way God is with us. And I think that's huge. God is saying, good job. I think God right now is saying, good job, Cornerstone. Keep it up. Keep moving forward. Keep trusting. Keep putting your faith in me. Good job. Keep it up. I'm rewarding you. You're experiencing something that very few people experience in a local church in this day and age. You realize the average number, uh, the average attendance of a local church in America is 100 people? That's the average attendance of a local church in America is 100 people. And you realize that most local churches in America are dying, meaning that people are leaving or they're just they're just existing. They're just what I call a maintenance mentality. And you know, there's a couple hundred of us here. We're just holding on to Jesus. Come. 
We don't care about, like Lynn says, that seat for that other person that may not have heard about Jesus yet. That's not, that's not even in their radar screen. And that's one of the reasons I think God is saying, good job. Keep opening up those seats for more people and I'll keep bringing them to you. Because there's so many local churches that don't have that faith to be able to keep moving forward. Same thing in your life. God wants you to, to put that same kind of faith into your life and say, God, I'm going to trust you too. I, I believe that the best days of my life are ahead of me. I believe that you still got great things for my life. I don't care how old you are. I told you a story about a friend who was 110 years old. They found her dead at her desk one night and she was writing out her goals for the next 10 years at 110. As I said, that's dying with your boots on, man. That's the way I want, that's the way I want to go out. Keep on keeping on. Marty. Well, I just, I just had a question yes. about the leadership in Calvin. Um, a reaffirming type thing. I'm just curious what you did when I was a teenager. He was curious uh, what we did in those teenage years as far as affirmation. Uh, you know, and, and I can take no credit for this. All I can tell you all is that God must have felt sorry for Lisa and I. For some, because we literally have two of the most wonderful children and they have been, by all accounts, very easy to raise. Uh, I have not had the struggles. And maybe, you know, part of it, I don't know, maybe it's, I don't know why God chose to do that. And, and maybe the struggles of my children will be later on. I don't know. Because let's, let's face it, I, mean, I, I think we have a good cross-section. Sometimes... I have found this as a pastor and a counselor. Sometimes the struggles with our parents come when we're grown. We have more struggles later on in life than we did when we were all home together. So I'm not going to discount that, you know, I'm home free at this point. But I will say that even as teenagers, they, they were pretty compliant. And, um, you know, it, they, they, were, they have been a joy. As, as I tell people now, my son is 20. In fact, some of you in the mind have heard him teach because he's sort of my backup teacher here. He is graduating at 20 from Southwestern Bible College. Uh, he is going to be starting his Master of Divinity degree at Talbot Seminary in California in the fall. Uh, my daughter is 18 and she'll be graduating from high school this year. So yeah, they ganged up on us and they're graduating the same month from college and high school, which I'm like, thanks guys, that's the one. They've but they have been a joy and, and at this point in our lives, uh, they're as much our friends as they are our children. And we just have a great time together, the four of us, and it's just cool. I, I, I hope that that continues to be the case down through the years, and we'll certainly strive for that. And I realize I don't take that for granted. Because as a pastor and as a counselor for 23 years, I deal, deal with a lot of families where that's not true. So I don't take that for granted. But I am thankful for my, for my children. They were truly a blessing. Yeah. You'll notice this. Verse 27, he persevered as though he could see the one who is invisible. Verse 27, that's key. Again, keeping his eye on the reward, keeping his eye on God, keeping his eye on that which was invisible, but yet it was as sure as visible. That's what we've got to do. Again, we don't walk, the Bible says, by sight, but by faith. And we're not always going to see, but if God said it and He promised it, it's sure and we can trust it. And we can entrust our lives to it. And we can entrust that person. 
And we can entrust that circumstance. And there is nothing that we cannot put in God's hands. 1 Peter 5.7 Cast all your care upon Him because He cares for you. Not some of your cares. Not 90% of your cares. Cast all your care on Him because He cares for you. And again, I have seen it where people are putting weights on their back. Weights that God never intended for them to carry. And what ends up happening is when you and I put that weight on our back that God never intended for us to carry, we carry it long enough, it's going to begin to wear us down physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And that's why we deal with things like ulcers and high blood pressure and and migraines and things like that. Because a lot of those physical symptoms are born out of these weights and burdens that we're carrying around, whatever that looks like, that God said, I never built you to carry that. You should take that pack, that weight off your back, and you should cast it on me. Let me carry it. But don't carry it yourself, or you'll begin to break down. Cast all your care on me. I care for you. A couple other scriptures about faith. So I want you to go back to the, to the book of James. Just keep going through Hebrews to chapter 12, chapter 13, and look at James chapter 1. That's why James could write in James chapter 1, verse 2, My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. Why? Because you know. How do I know? I know by faith because God said it, so I'm trusting that. That's why I know. I know that the testing of my faith is going to produce endurance in my life. That's why the whole book of Hebrews was written. It was written as an encouragement to endurance, to persevere, to keep on moving forward in spite of the obstacles and the opposition and the persecution and the tr- all that. Why? Because in moving forward, in spite of all that I'm... Ha- it's going to continue to make me stronger. And what's going to provide the strength to continue to move forward is that faith. So that's why he even says, so faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. In other words... Man, you let faith just grab a hold of your life and you just keep trusting in God, you're going to have a strength that you never knew you had within you. So here's here's the difference. Why do some Christians walk the walk and and those days of adversity begin to wear them down and you know their knees begin to buckle and, and their arms begin to hang and whatever? Because... The faith is not being built into their lives to provide the strength that they need to keep going under that adversity. But here's another Christian who's walking through the same kind of adversity and just, it's like, how are they doing it? Well, first of all, they're not doing it, right? God's doing it through them. And God, by their faith of just continuing to look at Him and move forward and trust in Him despite all that's swirling around, is providing a strength in them. The kind of strength that we're reading about and learning about in Hebrews chapter 11. And then if you'll just go back to 1 Timothy. Just go back like now through Hebrews. And then before Hebrews is a little book of Philemon. And then before Philemon is Titus. And then 2 Timothy. And then you come to 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18 and 19. Here's what Paul's telling Timothy. You see, this is a universal sort of encouragement. It says, Timothy, I'm writing all these things to you, and I'm paraphrasing here, verse 18. I'm writing all these things to you so that you can be encouraged at the end of verse 18 to fight the good fight, which implies there's some bad fights <laughs> that we should not get involved with. I always tell people, pick your battles carefully. 
Because guess what? The Bible teaches that the battle is the Lord's, but that's only the ones that he wants to be involved with. <laughs> there are some fights God says, oh, I'm not getting involved with that. One of my favorite verses to give us real wisdom in the book of Proverbs is a verse that says, if you get involved in a struggle between two people or two parties and you weren't invited in by two, both parties, it's like grabbing a dog by the ears. I love that. That's why, like, throughout the years, I'll have people at church say, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeff, can, you need to get involved in this dispute. But then I'm like, I'm not getting involved until all parties invite me in. Or like in marriage counseling. My spouse, you need to fix my spouse, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> not getting in the middle of that until both parties invite me in. I show them that verse. I'm grabbing a dog by the ears. That's not wise. But there's some good fights, and the good fight is that fight to keep on moving forward no matter what. And know that even if God is bringing that test of faith into your life, it's to build that strength into you. So notice then, how do I fight the fight of faith? The very first phrase of verse 19. To do this, two things, but tonight for our purpose, I just want to focus on the first part. To do this, you must hold firmly to what? Faith. If I'm going to fight the good fight in the Christian life, the one thing, the one indispensable thing I've got to do is hold firmly to my faith. If my trust and my confidence in God and in His Word begins to waver, wow, I'm going to make a shipwreck of my life. In fact, that's what it goes on to say. It uses the concept in verse 19 that some have rejected holding firmly to faith and they've suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. It literally is a picture of taking a ship and running it aground or onto a bunch of rocks when you and I don't hold firmly to the Word of God. Hold firmly to faith. And that sometimes means that there's going to be forces in our life that's going to try to, in a sense, blow us off of holding firmly to God's Word. In fact, everything around us may look total, just like Abraham. You want me to sacrifice my own son? Okay, God, I'm holding firmly to faith. You'll, you'll raise him from the dead then. That's holding firmly to faith. What a strength that provides. God wants you to have that strength in your life. God wants you to trust Him. I don't know what you're going through. I bet a you know, we were able to take a minute and just say, you know, what are you dealing with in your life? All of us could have story after story after story of how we're just, we're just struggling through. And, you know, we're moving forward. The wind's blowing us. You know, we feel like that salmon swimming upstream. But we're just going to continue to put one foot in front of the other. And, and Jeff, it's hard some days. You're right, it is. But I want you to know, and I want you to be encouraged by this, every time you take that step further towards Christ and just keep moving forward with Him and towards Him, that is one step further of strength that you have that you didn't have yesterday. And you are stronger because of it. And that's what God wants to build into your life because He knows, as God, that there's coming days of adversity. And even though you may be going through a period of life of prosperity, guess what? Adversity's coming. And so God wants to build that strength into your life so when those days of adversity come, you have the strength to be able to stand up and continue to move forward and become all that God created you to be. Folks, I love you. I hope to see you back here Tuesday. Let's close with prayer.
God, thank You so much for Your Word and for the strength that it supplies to us each and every day. And Father, I just pray that each and every person here tonight will feel a little bit stronger, a little bit more emboldened and encouraged, Lord, as they leave here tonight, that no matter what they're going through, God, if they just keep trusting in You and just keep moving forward as these men and women of the Old Testament did, that Father, they will find a strength that they never knew they had because it will be a strength that will be infused to them as they keep trusting in You. God, thank You for the wonderful turnout tonight. Thank You what You're doing in our church. Thank You what You're doing in our community. God, we give You all the glory and prayer. You are amazing. You are a great God. You are a good God. And we are here tonight to acknowledge that and thank You for it. Take us home safely tonight, Lord, and bring us back next Tuesday to be encouraged once again in Your Word. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're great. You are awesome.